Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Oliver Turner, who's the Senior Vice President for Corporate Dev at Corora Resources. We had a fascinating conversation. And if you want our feedback, you can get that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, uh, where you can also find company reports, articles, training courses, and a thriving community of like-minded investors who share their thoughts and ideas with each other in a respectful way. And if you try now, you get a seven-day free trial. Enjoy the podcast. Oliver, how are you doing, sir? Fantastic, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for joining us. Um, we better tell people who you are, because uh, it's the first time you've been on our screens. So, That's right. Oliver Turner, welcome to Crux Investor. Uh, you're here to talk to us about Aurora Resources. Um, and you've been there pretty much since the beginning. In fact, I met you in Toronto one year ago, and you told me what you That's were right. going to do, and you've managed to actually deliver it which is impressive, been a heck of a turnaround story for the business, but there's still a long ways to go, a bit more to do. Um, yeah. why, don't we, why don't we kick off and tell people who you are and what, what your role is at uh, Corora? Yeah, sure. So uh, as you said, I joined Corora just about a year ago around the Denver Gold Show, which is, um, I think we're around about my anniversary right now, uh, and joined as the, the head of corporate development for, for Corora Resources and, and heading up uh, investor relations in tandem with that. And was brought in uh, alongside Paul to, to help with the corporate turnaround of the company, cleaning up the capital structure, bringing in new investors, which we've been tremendously successful at in terms of changing the shareholder register and uh, and just executing on the plan that we had laid out for you and for the market in uh, the third quarter of last year. It's been quite successful and a little bit of, of my background. I come into the industry from the mining engineering side of things and uh, thereafter ended up over on the sell side part of the business at an investment bank called GMP Securities, where I worked for seven years in equity research, covering names in the, in the junior side of the spectrum, all the way up to mid-tier producers, and got to know Paul Hewitt, our CEO, very well then uh, via covering Klondex Mines, which was his previous success. And at GMP, we had quite a bit of success while I was there in building companies of this size from junior producers into effective uh, high margin mid-tier producers. Yeah, good. Okay, thanks for that summary. Um, I mean, some of the, you have some pretty big problems to solve. If, as it struck me last September, you know, you're kind of, kind of frantic, very um, excitable retail audience and quite a lot of them, right? In terms of the balance between institutional and retail was, you know, extreme to, to put, it, put it mildly. And I think it perhaps was causing some issues. And the other thing was people didn't really know what you were. Is it exactly. Nickel Company? Uh, the Royal, uh, yeah, Royal Nickel Company. Um, yeah, and you also did gold. So th th those were two kind of, you know, big things which struck me at the time. And you did lay out a plan for, you know, you knew what you needed to do. And as a case of just being able to deliver it, you just needed some time to deliver it. So um, do you think you've managed to do that? Yeah, I think we've executed very well on the plan that we laid out to the market a year ago. You're right. Uh, if, you, if you fast forward back towards uh, just prior to the Higginsville uh, transaction, this was a company that had a very exciting asset in Beta Hunt that had produced obviously some, some high grade coarse gold nuggets, but had no real stable mine plan and also had the second largest undeveloped nickel deposit in the world in Dumont that had been sitting there for, for quite a while. So when Paul came in and of course our operator and Graham Sloan and then myself, we had to, to focus this company on, on what we wanted to be. And ahead of a strong gold cycle, we knew we wanted to be 100% focused on gold. So 
we've executed that corporate strategy with the divestment of, of Dumont, which we uh, announced earlier this year. Obviously, we retain upside for our nickel investors in the fact that we can get up to $48 million on that sale, got $11 million into the bank right up front. So that was very, very important. We needed to provide a stable operating base. So the acquisition of the Higginsville mine and mill was absolutely critical for providing a stable operating base and allowing us to consistently deliver production every single quarter while improving margins and provide that reliable resource base and delivery uh, of production that has allowed for the next tier or, or quality of institutional investors to enter this story. So if we had had this conversation a year ago on camera, I would have told you we are around eight or 9% institutionally owned at that period of time. Today, we're well over 55% institutionally owned and we have some of the best mining investors in the business owning our stock, guys who got in early to very successful stories previously. On top of that, we also have significant investment by US and UK generalists, which are now coming into the sector and seeing core resources with what we've done over the last year in providing that stable base of operations, a cleaned up capital structure and a top tier board and management team. We provide them a very, very compelling investment thesis, which they're obviously enjoying the success of right now. So I think we've executed on that strategy very well. And the last bit I'll touch on, which we did lay out to the market, of course, was that focus on costs. We had four main areas we wanted to focus on. Royalties, which we've obviously been very successful with and has transformed the future of this company. GNA, top 20 vendors, and then of course, personnel. So as you've seen, our best report card, of course, is our quarterly performance and quarterly reports. Our all in sustaining costs are continuing to decline. We continue to target that $1,000 US per ounce mark. We're very confident we will get there. That's taken a lot of discipline and a complete overhaul of the prior business in order to arrive at where we are today. It's, it's, it's very successful. It's definitely changed. You, you, you change things up and just people just need to look at the share price today and the market cap today to, you know, to confirm that. That's all they need to do. But let me talk about some of the detail here. So let me come back to Dumont. Okay, 11 million bucks cash and maybe some upside, maybe. But it's, it's, you're, not, you're not banking on it, but maybe it's there. Um, do you think that was a fair price for what you offloaded there, which is, which is a significant nickel project? It is. Uh, and obviously, the nickel prospects and the, the electric vehicle world are quite strong. But let's not kid ourselves here. This is not an asset that we were going to build ourselves, that we were willing to dilute our shareholders for. You know, it's a billion dollars plus to build that asset. We are not experienced uh, base metal producers. That asset belongs in the hand of a much larger company who can afford to put that capital in and doesn't need to blow up their capital structure, which we have very carefully uh, repaired over the course of this year in order to build it. But it is important for us that we did retain some upside on a potential future sale, which we made sure that we did uh, with that divestiture to, to Waterton. And if you look at the actual sale price or, or the, the potential proceeds for Corora investors, the $48 million is actually more than the entire 72 prior percent had been divested for. So we believe it was a very good, very good deal for Corora shareholders and that capital being reallocated into our gold uh, projects will, will definitely drive strong returns. Right. So, but it's very dependent on the nickel market reaching a certain number in terms of, you know, the price, the price of nickel and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, but, so you, in the back of your minds, and even on your balance sheet, I guess, you're not reliant on that in any way, clearly, but 
is there an expectation that something will come through? Yeah, look, uh, the partners that now have the the 100% ownership of the asset in Waterton are talking to other parties about uh, a potential sale, much like we were. I mean, it's it's nickel price dependent. So when nickel price spikes, uh, more people come in knocking at your door. When nickel price rolls over, uh, they go away for a little bit. So we're confident that they will be able to move that project uh, at least into the hands of somebody that will develop it. But uh, more importantly is that we have the cash up front right now and any potential future sale, we still get to benefit in. Right. Okay. So I get, we will see there may be something coming down the line, but that was like one sort of tough set of negotiations, which you were doing concurrently with uh, Matrix on the royalty side of things. Okay. So obviously that played out well. That game of chess played out uh, well for both sides. I think that you both walked away with what you wanted, but then there's a little, little kind of chink at the end there where Mr. Eric Spot walks in. I mean, well, what happened there? Yeah, no, we were, we were very uh, excited to have Eric increase his, his ownership. And we've been working hard with him to find him a, a block of stock to increase his ownership. Not only is he excited about the, the prospects at Beta Hunt, but also our Spargo's reward, high grade uh, additional pit there. And then let's not uh, forget that we have some extremely high grades also at Higginsville, both with respect to uh, the, the open pit, but also our Aquarius deposit. So Eric wanted a, a large block of stock. We were trying to find it for him. That was sort of a natural fit. Uh, Mavericks were, you know, they were a, a good counterparty to negotiate with over the course of this year. But ultimately, of course, they're in the business of increasing their royalty portfolio and deploying cash into new royalties. So we we're able to find a solution where the $13 million was able to be sent to them from Eric Squatch purchase of those shares. They get to go out and buy more royalties. They also get to participate in what I'm calling a bigger pie at Beta Hunt with this royalty now reduced. It's incentivizing us to explore more and also increase the economics for them as the deposit grows. But at the same time, we brought in a fantastic investor in Eric Sprott, who now owns more and is excited to see what we uncover there. He's also very high profile. And I'm, again, looking at the amount of trading that's going on here, looking at what's happening on the GDXJ on Friday, you guys are starting to be noticed. Someone like him, I guess, helps that. Uh, in, in terms of getting more institutional coverage in the U.S. and, and more important, more liquidity in the stock. Um, do you expect him to be a long-time holder? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you, if you listen to any of Eric's discussions, he has a very bullish view both on gold and silver in this space and thinks we're just at the beginning of a very strong cycle in both those precious metals, especially given the monetary debasement that we're seeing in the United States. So we expect him to be there for uh, at least allowing us to execute on our plan moving forward, and we're happy to have him. Okay, great. Let, let's get into the, the, the projects here, because you guys mm -hmm. are now starting to throw off a lot of cash. Free cash, free cash flow um, is, is some, the name of the game here. It gives you optionality. And you're very cognizant of that. So, you know, we've, we've talked in the past with Paul about ore sourcers, you know, ac uh, other acquisitions, potential, potential M&A, um, you know, things that you can do with your money. One dollar equals one dollar unless you do something quite cute with it. So, you know, how, how do you view that cash that you're producing now? Yeah, so uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We are producing strong free cash flow at these prices, but not, it's not just price driven. It's also the hard work we've put into reducing that cost profile. 
across both assets. Margins are improving, obviously, significantly. And we want to make sure that while we're obviously very excited about this bull cycle, but that we're we're prepared for any downturn in the gold price. We don't want these assets to be dependent on a certain gold price in order to work. We want be, to be resilient through bear and bull markets. So we've now well positioned those assets under Graham's uh, excellent leadership over there in Western Australia to be very resilient to metal prices moving forward. So we will generate free cash uh, irrespective of, of gold price. So how do we look at our capital balance now? I mean, the capital allocation is something where we're deciding between do we deploy on organic growth profile uh, projects? Do we uh, deploy into exploration? Are we out there looking in the market for other opportunities? Again, we're focused on being prudent stewards of capital. We're not going to throw away dollars here and we're not going on a shopping spree just for the sake of going shopping. So every every dollar that we look to spend, we look at the potential return on that dollar and we make our capital decisions uh, accordingly. And we are very excited to announce, uh, obviously last week that we increased our exploration budget by 50, 50%, $5 million. And just for your viewers, uh, for some context there, West Gold was spending in the in the range of hundreds of thousands of dollars per year at Higginsville due to the fact that that royalty was was basically overlaying it for over 10 years. So this is the largest exploration budget that both of those assets has seen in a very long time. $15 million deployed into both of them. And as far as we're concerned, given the success that we've had in the past and obviously the recent announcement last week, we think those are dollars very well deployed. You, you're starting to hit some pretty, I saw, you know, last week also talked about some drills about some pretty high grade, not just gold, but also the nickel numbers were exceptional. Right. You know, which is the irony of having just offloaded Dumont was not lost on me, but um, but at least it's at least it's in the same country. Um, so high grade nickel, were you expecting to see that, those sorts of numbers? Yeah, so uh, historically, it, it's it's really interesting looking at uh, Beta Hunt. I mean, Beta Hunt actually used to be two separate mines. There was the Beta Mine and there, there was the Hunt Mine. Both of those mines were nickel operations that were actually in place for over 40 years. So one of the massive advantages that we have at Beta Hunt is there's over 400 kilometers of infrastructure in place already. And the announcements that you saw last week are actually a, a perfect example of us leveraging that infrastructure. If you look at uh, the cross section in our second release there on the Larkin zone, we actually drilled off the Larkin zone from a drift that's been in place for over 30 years. So not only do we have excellent drill bays for exploration, but we also have these drifts in place for basically immediate mining or, or mining whenever we choose to do so. So it's been it's been absolutely outstanding to have uh, that infrastructure in place and now being able to take advantage of it. With respect to the nickel, uh, the nickel uh, was obviously mined for, for an extensive period of time. And our exploration and geological theory was always that the nickel basically sat right on top of the gold where we're currently mining. That's been true in A zone and Western flanks where we're mining to the north of that Alpha Island fault. We knew, or we, we at least had the theory that those shear zones that were mining very continuous economic free cash flow generating shear zone, irrespective of course gold, those shear zones would continue south of the Alpha Island Fault. And that sitting on top of those shear zones would be this nickel, what we call a nickel trough. Now that nickel trough called the 30C, which we announced last week on top of that Larkin Gold Zone is the first nickel discovery at Beta Hunt in over 13 years. So we're extremely excited about it. Those will provide some pretty fantastic byproduct credits. 
mean, some of those intercepts were over 7% nickel, that's $1,000 a ton rock. Um, they, they will be meaningful going forward. And we want to bake that into part of our stable mine and production plan to, to further improve our costs that we're already working on. Okay, fantastic. Um, you hit upon something there, which I want to talk to you about because people get people got very excited about Father's Day vein. And there's, again, part of the fervor around the, the retail investors was they wanted you to go hunting for these pockets of nuggety gold, right? You've said to the market, I think you've been quite clear about it, but I wanna, want you to articulate it to me now, which is you've got a plan and a process and it's it's not about hunting the nuggets. The nuggets, you're going to methodically go through a process because this is economic at the grades that you're finding without the nuggets. So can you just explain the thinking behind that? Why, why not go chasing the easy, quick wins? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If they, I mean, if they were easy, I guess uh, we'd we'd all be doing it for sure. But the the big difference here is is with the acquisition of that mill last year, and and this is you know this is gold price rally agnostic here. Let's go back to twelve fifty to thirteen hundred dollar U.S. per ounce gold. The acquisition of that mill in Higginsville took our milling costs, which were previously toll milling costs, from $45 Australian per ton down to $29 Australian per ton. And obviously, in our last quarter, we had a significant improvement on that as well. So that has drastically changed the economics and the future of Beta Hunt. Beta Hunt is economic and free cash flow generative at the average grade. And what we are doing now is we are long hole stoping those entire shear zones which grades somewhere in the range of 2.8 grams per ton. And we're taking them out in the proper geotechnical sequence in which they should be mined and making money even if we never hit another ounce of coarse gold. Now, do we think there is more coarse gold? Absolutely. Do we know where it occurs? We know the setting it occurs in, and we know that across those shear zones, there is 16 kilometers of where this pyritic sediment crosses those shears on which is the environment in which that gold drops out but it's not a matter of if we'll get the coarse gold it's a matter of when we'll get the coarse gold and we're taking things out in a proper mine plan we extract the entire shear which includes the coarse gold and at the front end of our mill we have a gravity circuit in which we get a hundred percent recovery of that coarse gold so this is a stable operation which is is going to be economic without coarse gold but all of the coarse gold that we encounter is uh, for lack of a better term, gravy on top, and we'll go directly to our bottom line. So it's a stable producing operation. It's uh, something in which institutional investors are very, very interested in. Obviously, we have that very exciting coarse grade cold kicker, but we're not going to go tunneling, just searching for these nuggets. Okay, that's the underground side of things. Open pit, Higginsville, what's the plan there? I mean, again, as part of this increased uh, drill budget that you've got, you know what are you going to be what are you going to be trying to deliver this year yeah so uh, higginsville's been uh, absolutely outstanding obviously since we took off that and completely eliminated the morgan stanley net smelter return royalty uh one of the the impacts that COVID did have on western australia is that third parties basically weren't were come to site we were not anybody that wasn't mining gold wasn't at either site so that did impact exploration drilling over the course of the north american summer we're very happy to announce that we do have drills turning back at both sites we have two drills underground at beta hunt we'll be adding another drill in the fall uh, we have two drills turning at Higginsville, and we've also sourced another drill there. But what we did do during the course of that uh, drilling hiatus was we conducted a very large gravity survey at Higginsville, 400 square kilometers. We announced this in our first release last week of our 1,800 square kilometer land package. And the area that we focused on that was 
the Salt Lake area. So the Salt Lakes are an area that regionally speaking, some very large deposits have been found by gold fields. And in fact, our own deposit uh, that we're currently mining called Baloo sits on the Salt Lake itself. So this gravity survey actually uh, identified some very large anomalies, which could be analogous to some of those deposits. We're going to do further work here and drill test them, of course. But there's definitely some very, very interesting exploration targets that we'll be following up on this year. Not only that, but of course, uh, inheriting this property from Westgold, who was unable to drill most of the property, we have a list of 32 Brownfields targets at Higginsville. There is no shortage of targets. We have high-grade underground targets in Aquarius. We have uh, high-grade open pits in areas such as Blue and Fairplay North. We have larger high-grade, potentially lower mining cost projects like the Paleo Channels called Challenger. So there's certainly a lot for lots for us to work on. Uh, and recently we announced that we have already started mining Hidden Secret and Mouse Hollow, which would Previously, we're actually two open pits and deposits, which based on our drilling that we did earlier this year before the, the COVID pause, uh, actually have joined into one larger open pit. And we're hitting some outstanding grades there, Matt. We, had, we announced a hole that was 25 grams over four meters, 17 meters below surface. So definitely pay dirt. And as is the case with most of these open pits in Western Australia, it looks like there will be underground opportunities under several of them as well. And we'll certainly be exploring that in the future. You've got a lot of cash. Okay. And one of the questions sent in by people was like, you know, do you feel the need to mitigate um, the country risk? I say it with a smile because it's Australia, well known for mining gold. Um, but do you, do you feel the need to look outside of Australia, um, maybe deploy cash elsewhere or invest in other outside of Australia? Yeah, look, so we, we are obviously very active on the corporate front as well as working on our, our own projects here. Uh, given uh, Paul and my experience uh, in the capital markets, where we're shown a lot of assets and we, we've certainly looked at a lot of different companies and, and we're only going to do things that will be per share accretive for our shareholders. And we're very, very focused on two things. When we're talking about our own projects, it's margin per ton of rock. When we're talking about potential uh, corporate additions, it's per share accretion. And that is uh, the perfect example of that actually was the Spargos acquisition, which we acquired for, for $4 million Australian, unbelievably accretive per share. And we've actually already begun some of our development work there, and we'll be getting a drill turning there shortly with the target, of course, of getting some of that ore into the mill by the second quarter next year. But in terms of diversifying away from, from country risk, I mean, the, the honest truth here is that Western Australia is the number one jurisdiction ranked by the Fraser Institute last year for mining in the world. And what we are focused on corporately as a mining team and as a, as a corporate team is not diluting the jurisdictional quality of our assets. So anything that we do look at will only be in top tier or tier one jurisdictions. Okay. With Beta Hunt, Higginsville, and now obviously Spargos with that, that, that acquisition now complete, um, you're looking at doing a revised resource estimate by the end of the year. What do you think mm -hmm. you're going to, what, what are you hoping for? Well, you know, obviously can't, we can't talk numbers, but we can certainly talk direction. Uh, we expect things to, to move positively in the right direction. There's definitely several levers that we can pull uh, that will, will be positive for resource and reserve estimates at, at both assets. Obviously, we're in a dramatically different metal price environment right now. That said, what we're seeing a lot of uh, the industry do is remaining conservative on resource and reserve prices. What we don't want to do is, is add ounces at the cost of grade or margin. So we are margin focused. One of the big, uh, you know, basically accomplishments this year that will obviously play into our resources and reserves is 
those royalties. Those royalty renegotiations have dramatically reduced the cost of mining uh, at both assets. So that will play into our resource and reserve estimates. And then, of course, with the drill bit, we've had tremendous success at Higginsville pre-COVID uh, hiatus and precautions. We're back. The drills are turning again. We're getting some good results coming in. And then Beta Hunt, we already announced uh, some last week some of the initial success we've had there. And when you take a look at Beta Hunt and the, the strike extents that we've drilled off there. So first of all, with the new footwall zone in western flanks north, 160 meters of a footwall strike length. Looks like that can grow. It's immediately adjacent, adjacent to infrastructure once again uh, and very, very continuous. When you look at the new Larkin zone, which we discovered south of the island, Alpha Island Fault, we've delineated 400 meters of strike extent. We think we can add another 300 meters there. And if there's anything that we know about Beta Hunt is that the shear zones are extremely continuous. It's very homogenous material, easy, stable mining. So those those areas will, if uh, if they don't make it into this resource and reserve estimate, they'll certainly be building towards future resource and reserve estimates. Uh, and, and one of the benefits that we have is what we did last year. So last year, uh, prior to the kind of change in management, there's a 40,000 meter drill program that cost about $7 million Canadian. It added 1 million ounces to the resource. So it goes to show how continuous these shear zones are. So we expect beta hunt to certainly uh, replace depletion and we expect to add ounces there as well. Okay, you're a markets guy. You know what it takes to turn the market on and get the market excited. And, and again, I refer people back to the amount, the amount of trading that's going on in your stock here. So with something like uh, you know the, the, the new or revised resource estimate, like a cash balance, being careful with your cash and not frittering it away on acquisitions, unnecessary and expensive M&A. What are the things that you are doing or the board is discussing uh, with regards to the corporate structure that you need to create? Because this bull market is not going to last forever. It may last another year, two years, three years, who knows. But at the end of it, you need to be fit for purpose. So what are you, what are you doing in terms of shaping the company? Yeah, so we've already done a few of those things this year. I mean, one of the one of the major uh, accomplishments, which of course was was voted on by our shareholders, and was the uh, the share consolidation, the the four point five to to one rollback that we that we executed earlier this year. That has been transformative for our liquidity. So one of the important things to realize is that. When you're when you have a tighter share structure and you become investment grade for a whole new slew of institutional funds, not only does it help get bring new investors in, which is what we've seen with U.S. generalists, but it also improves your liquidity. Our market makers are more institutional now. Uh, we've seen liquidity improve and volumes improve since the date of that consolidation. So that was you know a tremendous step forward in terms of repairing our capital structure and getting it into, into investment or institutional investment grade quality. Obviously, we have our $32 million worth of remaining debt. We're in discussions for renegotiating that debt and you know, on more favorable terms uh, and making sure that this is a, a leaner coupon uh, company moving forward just in case uh, metal prices do stress us further. So there's some, those are some of the areas that we're, we're talking about with respect to corporate, uh, corporate structure and making sure that we're better prepared. In terms of generating market interest going forward, uh, Paul has talked about it in some past interviews and we've been out, in their mar- out there into the market um, talking about the fact that we're focused on building an organic growth profile. Obviously, it's no secret there that we have some a tremendous upside of both properties ahead of us. And we have a 1.4 million ton brand of mill that is at 100% capacity. So how do we increase the ounce output of that mill? There's several things that we're looking at internal projects right now. We obviously have some extremely high grade projects that we can pull from from a mining perspective. So we will be rolling, rolling out uh, an organic growth profile to the market. 
and uh, and attracting new investment that way down the line as well. And that plays obviously very importantly into our capital allocation decisions as well. With more of these generalist funds coming on, which is what you were talking to there, um, a lot more out of the US. They're a lot bigger generalist funds getting interested because you, you fit the profile now. You, you built that, yep. right? Um, do you think it would be at all beneficial for you guys to think about going listing on the New York exchange? Well, look, I mean, there's there's certainly uh, there's certainly arguments for that uh, with respect to increasing trading liquidity, getting more market exposure. There's even arguments for uh, listing on the Australian stock exchange. Look, we have a lot of Australian investors uh, knocking down our door, just just begging to get into the story and for us to be Australian listed. And you know, historically speaking, over the last three to four years, the Australian market has been much stronger than the North American market. But what we've seen over the course of this the year, uh, you know, on the TSX has been an absolutely uh, incredible bull market, uh, both with respect to capital flowing into the sector, but also with respect to foreign investors buying TSX paper. So we're certainly not closing the door on evaluating listing on other exchanges, but we're certainly very happy with how things have performed on the TSX and with the caliber of investors that we've attracted to this listing. Okay, you've had a t- you've had a, a long, successful but long year. Have you got the energy to go another year or do, if someone came knocking, is it, is it time to uh, maybe think about what they put on the table? Well, look, we're very excited about what we have ahead of us uh, in terms of what we want to execute on this year for sure. We know that this company ultimately is going to be worth a lot more tomorrow than it will be today. Uh, but obviously, any inbounds that we have, we evaluate those for our shareholders. And ultimately speaking, we want to do what's going to provide the highest uh, per share return for people that own Corora stock. We're all shareholders in the company ourselves. So we're, we're directly aligned with, with our existing shareholders. And, uh, you know, we'd love to execute on what we have ahead of us because uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, we're excited to put it together and get it out there into the market and then deliver on it operationally as we have in the last year. Uh, with respect to, to energy, I think we're probably more excited now than ever. We've built a very stable, investable base in this company from a company that a year ago was, quite frankly, uh, borderline uninvestable. So for institutional quality investors. So we're excited to move forward with that. Great stuff. Great turnaround story. Loved hearing it. Loved you know, being part of it uh, in the sense of you know, talking to you guys on a regular basis. Um, good luck with the rest of the year. Stay in touch. Let us know. You know, if there's any exciting news, there seems to be on a weekly basis with you at the moment. But uh, we'd love to talk to you again. Appreciate your time, Oliver. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.